Welcome to the New Testament Review. It's another Synoptic Problem episode, so I'm joined today by Ken Olson. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ian. Today we're going to be discussing Towards the Rehabilitation of Q, published by F.G. Downing in 1965. Ken, who was Downing? Uh, Downing is an Anglican clergyman. He's now (laughs) 83 years old. He's published several papers on the synoptic problem, approaching it from the angle of compositional procedures that the evangelists would likely have used. He's been followed in this by a number of other scholars, most notably Robert Derenbacher. So we're going to bring in some of Downing's later work at the end of this episode, but we're first going to focus on just the argument in Towards the Rehabilitation of Q. I think this is the best argument for the existence of the Q document. I don't think he improves upon it significantly in his later work, and we'll get into that. But if there is any reason to believe that Luke did not use Matthew and that Q exists, that the two-source hypothesis is right, I think Downing gives the best case for that. So Downing begins this article by making a point that's really important to emphasize. He agrees with Ferrer that the two-source hypothesis or the four-document hypothesis, the existence of Q, depends on the incredibility of Luke's use of Matthew. There are people, we've mentioned this before, who still want to maintain that both Q exists and Luke uses Matthew, but this is not a position that people who study the synoptic problem hold. Um, it's really not tenable, and, pe- and, this, and people on both sides of this debate more or less agree on that. So Downing is going to try to give a new argument, arguing against the plausibility that Luke used Matthew. And before we dive into this, I just want to reiterate that I think this argument structurally works. If the data fit into the argument as Downing describes it, I think we would be obliged to believe in the existence of Q. The problem is the data doesn't comport to Downing's description, and we'll get there. So let's begin by looking at what Downing actually argues. Downing is going to try to prove that Luke's use of Matthew is an improbable hypothesis because we can't imagine that Luke would have behaved this way with the Matthean material. And what he's going to look at is four pericopes, which, on the Ferrer theory, Luke has followed Matthew in preference to Mark. Okay, but on the two-source theory, which is what Downing holds, in these passages, Matthew has conflated Mark and Q, while Luke has used Q by itself. Okay, these are the baptism and temptation, the Beelzebul pericope, the sending of the twelve, and the apocalyptic discourse. So these are all four triple tradition stories. They're stories that are extant in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And Matthew and Luke both add shared material to the Markan context. So he thinks these are the most promising passages for seeing how Luke treats places where Matthew has added material into Mark and therefore the most promising passages for determining what Luke's procedure was and whether or not that's something we can believe an author would do holding a copy of Matthew. Right, and we should mention these are what B.H. Streeter had called Mark Q overlap passages. Which in that episode we said were a particular problem for the two-source hypothesis. So he first focuses on the Beelzebul pericope and then moves on to the other three. What's really important, though, is this stratification of gospel material he creates. There is A, B, and C material. A material is where Matthew precisely reproduces Mark. 
B material is where Matthew and Mark have basically the same material, but Matthew has reworded what Mark had. And C material is where Mark has no parallel or almost no parallel. Right. So in descending order, they're how close Matthew is to his Markan source. Downing is going to argue that Luke, when he is copying out of Matthew, reproduces no A material, which is places where Matthew is copying verbatim from Mark, reproduces most of the B material, where Matthew and Mark share words and phrases. He's going to go on and later say that we don't know whether this is Matthew rewriting Mark or Matthew pulling material out of Q that has Mark in parallels, and reproduces almost all of C, where Matthew has no Mark in parallel. So that is no A, most of B, and all of C. Right, and we should emphasize here, it's not really clear what Downing is claiming about the C material. Does he mean that Luke has kept it in some fashion or that Luke has reproduced it verbatim? Right, he considers both of those to be C, places where Luke has at least some sort of parallel to Mithian editions without a mark in parallel. Downing also points out that in these passages, there, are, there is very little Luke-Mark parallel material, agreements between Luke and Mark that are not also present in Matthew. And so, on the fairer hypothesis, according to Downing, Luke must be using Matthew only. So he's not looking at Mark, he's just copying out of Matthew. Now, this is actually a good argument. Downing's argument is essentially, if Luke is using Matthew here, then he's decided he's going to remove all the places where Matthew has followed Mark closely. In the places where Matthew has followed Mark less closely, he's going to keep it, but, but basically recast it, use different words. But where Matthew has added entirely new stuff to Mark, he's going to follow him almost precisely. And Downing's point is that... There's no reason to think an author would or even could do that. He says there's no reason to think that Luke having a copy of Matthew would go find the places where Matthew is exactly copied out of Mark and decide to exclude those things. That would be mechanically difficult if you're working with large scrolls. And what would motivate an author to do that? He thinks it's much more likely that Luke is getting his parallels with Matthew that aren't present in Mark from a separate source that hasn't yet been conflated with the Gospel of Mark and copying that material into his gospel, and then Matthew is separately retrieving that material and putting that into his gospel alongside Mark. And that, of course, is the Q document. And Downing summarizes this by saying, Matthew's extra material without the Markan editions is not Matthew's gospel, it is Matthew's other sources, Q and M. A rival summary statement. This, then, is the major problem of the relation of Luke and Matthew, the major problem with thinking that Luke used Matthew on the Pharaoh theory. The Lucan omissions of Mark, particularly pure Mark, from his rendering of material similar to that which Matthew has conflated with Mark. So there is no reason to think that Luke would or could omit only Markan borrowings into Matthew and kept only the Matthean additions from Matthew's Gospel. Do we want to explain why we're not using the U word? In his later work, Downing introduces the word unpicking to describe what uh, Luke has done on the Ferrer theory. I think it's not a well-defined word, and it's mostly a pejorative thing, meaning some, un some really complicated thing that Luke is supposed to have done on the Ferrer theory. Right. Downing actually introduces this word in quotation marks, even though he's not quoting Ferrer theory scholars. 
who claim that Luke is using this procedure. As you're going to see, we don't think Luke was unpicking his sources. Right, which is why we're not going to use it in this episode. Right. Now, we're fully conceding the logic of Downing's argument here. If Luke has effectively unconflated Matthew and reproduced Matthew's source, Matthew's non-Markan source without Mark, we'd think he's right. We agree that is an incomprehensible procedure and Farrer would be wrong. Now, in one of his later works, a paper called Redaction Criticism in 1980, Downing uh, re-describes his argument and says, It is possible, as has been said, to find piecemeal reasons for each change of Matthew's close quotations of Mark as it occurs. But it is still strange to find that Luke ends up with pure Mark in Matthew almost totally rejected, revised Mark in Matthew further revised, yet new Mark in Matthew accepted often as it stands. My favorite piece written on the problem of unpicking, written uh, on the question of Luke's compositional procedures when he's handling Matthew in these four pericope, is written by a certain scholar named Ken Olson. You'll find this in a volume edited by Mark Goodacre and Nicholas Perrin called Questioning Q, a multidimensional critique that was published in 2004. And is available in fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> we happen to have a certain Ken Olson with us, so Ken, we'll let you take the lead on this one. What is the problem, not with Downing's argument, but with Downing's description of the data? Right. So Downing's argument is basically that in these four pericopes he's going to look at, Luke has eliminated all of the A material where, where Matthew has followed Mark closely. He's basically kept the B material where Matthew has paraphrased Mark, but he's paraphrased it further. And then he's also kept the C material almost verbatim, like staking very close to Matthew. If it were the case that this had happened in these four pericopes, Downing would be right. The thing is, in none of these four pericopes that Downing examines does that actually happen. Let's start with the Beelzebul pericope, which is what Downing gives most of his time and attention to. Right. The Beelzebul pericope is maybe the example that best fits the general description that Downing has given. So we think there's three main problems with Downing's analysis of the Beelzebul pericope. Two of the problems have to do with the single statement, it is by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. Now one problem is, Downing has categorized this as B material, when it's in a different order in Matthew than it is in Luke and Mark, but really the words are basically the same, so he could have classified that as A material, and it's in all three Gospels, Luke didn't eliminate it. To clarify, this is more or less verbatim in Matthew, Mark, and Luke but Matthew changes the word order, so Downing categorizes this as B material. If we categorize that as A material, this undermines his thesis, because Luke here is taking over a place where Matthew is copying word for word, just in a slightly different order, word for word out of Mark. And that's precisely what Downing says shouldn't happen. Right, and the second problem is, that Downing is looking at the version in Matthew 12 because he's looking at the Beelzebub pericope, which is perfectly reasonable. But Matthew actually has two versions of the saying. The other occurs in Matthew 9.34, and there it's seven words, identical verbatim agreement with Mark, and Luke has, has that version. So we have a three-way verbatim agreement. So if Luke is following Matthew here, he's actually substituted a version which agrees more with Mark than the one that's in the Bilzebul pericope. He wouldn't be eliminating Matthew's close use of Mark. He'd be adding to it. 
Well, we know that on the Ferrer theory, he did in fact get a seven verbatim word agreement in there. Now, two-source theory people would object to that on the grounds that Matthew had two versions and we're just going to the other version. But what we're talking about here is what did Luke do on the Ferrer hypothesis, not whether the two-source theory can provide a different explanation for it. Now, the reason that Downing chose the Beelzebub pericope as his first example is that there is a good deal of A material that Luke has eliminated and a good deal of C material which he's kept. What Downing hedges on is there are two verses of C material in Matthew that Luke has recast considerably. This isn't as big a problem because it isn't really clear. Is, is Downing saying that the C material is kept as it stands or is he just saying it's kept in some form or another? So that was the Beelzebub pericope, which we think is Downing's best case, but still doesn't hold up. Let's look at the other three examples Downing gives, which we think comport far less well with Downing's description of the data and don't, in fact, fill out his otherwise valid argument. Okay, the next one that Downing looks at is the baptism and temptation pericopes. Now, this is actually two different pericopes. Most synopses lay them out as two different pericopes, but Downing treats them together here. So let's look at why that is. Suspicious. Yeah. Downing says, Luke produces almost all the C material, less any equivalent of Matthew 3, 14 through 15. Now, wait, what does that mean? Within the baptism, Luke reproduces almost all the C material, except for the two verses that he doesn't reproduce and omits. And how many verses are there total? Five. Out of five verses within the baptism, Luke has eliminated two and kept three, and Downing refers to this as keeping almost all of the C material. Now, the reason he includes the temptation here is that's 11 more verses of basically C material. But even there, he's used them in a different way, because if we agree that that's C material, then there are two verses that Luke has omitted from Matthew, there are three verses that he's kept almost verbatim. In fact, it's the longest sequence of verbatim agreement anywhere in the Synoptic Gospels for those three verses. And then there are 11 verses of Matthew's temptation, which Luke does have parallels to, but he's rewritten them considerably. So rather than just keeping all the C material as it stands, when Luke finds C material, what does he do? Well, some of it he omits, some of it he keeps as it stands, and some of them he edits and recasts. But what about the A material? The A material is even maybe the more important part. And what Downing says is, of the A material, Matthew's faithful quoting of Mark, he omits completely the larger part, that's chapter 3, verses 4 and 5a. That's one and a half verses. Okay, so he's omitted one and a half verses of A material. But then Downing asks to admit he does include the quotation of Isaiah, and omits Malachi from Mark, but the connection is obvious and the remaining quotation is essential to the Markan context that remains. So Denning has pointed out, look, he's omitted the larger part of the A material, which is one and a half verses, but then he's kept one verse. To be clear, Downing's argument is that Luke keeps all of Matthew's C material, Matthew's new material, and omits all of Matthew's a material, all the places where Matthew is taking over verbatim from Mark. But if you actually consult a synopsis, you see that Luke is taking over one verse of A material and omitting one and one and a half verses, and is taking over three verses of C material and omitting two verses. A fairly even distribution of the ways we might expect Luke to treat material. Not at all an implausible treatment of source material from the pen of Luke. 
Right. And Downing's observation about Luke keeping Isaiah is pretty suspicious and provides very little support for his thesis. Luke has omitted one and a half verses where Matthew followed Mark closely, but he's kept one verse, which Downing describes as essential to the Markan context. Well, wouldn't we expect Luke to, to, to keep Matthew where it's essential to the Markan context? That makes certain sense. So here, Matthew has not only retained Mark's quotation of Isaiah verbatim, but he's removed the quotation of Malachi that Mark appended to it and misattributed to Isaiah, and Luke has followed Matthew. And what has Downing done? He's supposed to be evaluating the possibility of Luke's use of Matthew, but he abruptly shifts gears. Here, far from attacking Ferris' theory, which does not have a problem explaining this, he's defending his own theory, which does have a problem explaining this. He's supposed to be showing that Luke's treatment of Matthew is implausible, but it's really easy to see that if Luke was just copying straight out of Matthew, how we get the version of the story that Luke presents. He is trying to give an argument to explain why Luke is taking over precisely the material that he says Luke doesn't take over. That is a material. So what Downing is arguing is that Luke has eliminated all the places where Matthew has closely followed Mark. But here is a place where Matthew has kept Mark and Luke has followed him. And Downing switches from, I'm criticizing Ferrer's theory, to, I'm defending my own theory. Yes. His third example is the apocalyptic discourse. And this one is very complex, and it's very difficult to evaluate this without a synopsis in front of you. The data are extremely uh, varied here. Oofta. Basically, Luke is following Mark in the apocalyptic discourse, right? In general, he's following Mark. And what Downing is talking about is places where Matthew has added material to Mark's apocalyptic discourse, and Luke has used some of that added material in other locations in his gospel. Now, it's very hard to analyze C material here because, well, there's no obligation for Luke to follow all of Matthew in, in this. It's just he omits some, that, some stuff that, that Matthew has added to the apocalyptic discourse. So we can't really talk about the C material, but for the A material... Matthew 24, 17 through 18, Luke does have it in another form in Luke 17, 31. It's not followed precisely, but he does have the material. According to Downing, Luke has eliminated the A material. That's where Matthew has followed Mark precisely. But in the case of Matthew 24, 17 and 18, which Downing has identified as A material, Luke hasn't eliminated it. He's recast it and given it in different words in Luke 17, 31. So this doesn't map really well onto Downing's particular argument, so we're just going to kind of skim over it. We'll have to come back to this when we talk about compositional conventions and some of the later work done on the synoptic apocalypse. Downing's fourth example is Matthew 9.35-10.16, through 10, 16, the sending out of the twelve. There is one verse of A material, that's Matthew 9.36, which is in the introduction to the pericope, and Luke has eliminated that. He doesn't use it. So this is the only case in any of the pericopes Downing uses as, as examples where Luke actually has eliminated all of the A material. This is the one case. And the problem for Downing is Luke is also supposed to have kept the B and C material, and there's actually a verse before 936, which is B and C material, verse 935, and Luke has eliminated that as well. So what has Luke done? Has he targeted the A material for removal 
No, he's gotten rid of the whole two-verse introduction in Matthew and provided his own introduction. He's picked up where Jesus starts speaking. He's kept the words of Jesus, but he's gotten rid of the introduction. It looks more like he's gotten rid of Matthew's introduction than that he's gotten rid of Matthew's A material. Downing would go on to do some really interesting work on compositional conventions in antiquity, how authors worked with their sources in the ancient world. He, along with Robert Derenbacher, have published some compelling arguments that microconflation, that is, to an author working with two sources and closely interweaving their wording, is not something that happens in antiquity. The relevance for this particular argument is Downing seems to have said, and Tuckett at least has received him as saying, that there may be positive reason to think that Luke would take over from his sources, Matthew and Mark on the fair theory, would take over from his sources the common witness of the two earlier authors. That is, we should expect Luke positively to borrow from Matthew and Mark exactly where Matthew and Mark agree with each other. This is actually a rewriting of the argument from rehabilitation, and if correct, would strengthen his case. The really key thing I got from Ken's critique is that the practice of following common witnesses would be to assume precisely the procedure that Downing and Derenbacher have concluded that authors don't do when they're microconflating. Let me explain. In order to isolate and particularly be attracted to the common witness of your sources, you would need to compare the two sources to each other and then pull out material where these two sources agree into your document. This means writing one document while comparing two other documents. And this is exactly the procedure that Derenbacher and Downing say ancient authors didn't and maybe couldn't have done in antiquity. Yeah, and when we call this a technological problem, we're not necessarily talking about advanced technology. But even the less technologically advanced idea of I have two books and I've spread them out on a table in front of me as far as we know, they didn't do that in the ancient world before the 4th century. The thing we're assuming here that Downing and Derenbacher both say is ancient authors followed one source at a time. They had one version, one book open in front of them, and they were making their version off of that. They might have had, you know, their scroll in their lap as they were writing it, and they're reading one version. But just having two in view at the same time and trying to combine them would have been a very unusual procedure. So the overall problem with Downing's rehabilitation article is that the argument presupposes data that doesn't actually come about. He says uh, Luke has gotten rid of all the A material, the material where Matthew is following Mark, and Luke has kept all the C material where Matthew ha doesn't have Mark. And this isn't actually what happens in his examples. Downing had said, we could in each case give a piecemeal solution, in this case Luke did this, in this case he did that. But he said, since there's only one phenomenon, we need a global solution. Well, the thing is, there isn't only one phenomenon. What we find is, Luke sometimes keeps A material and sometimes he gets rid of it. He get, sometimes keeps C material, he sometimes gets rid of it. And in this case, it is perfectly reasonable to offer individual solutions to individual problems. So Tuckett has critiqued fair theory people for being, in theory, unpersuadable. And one of the nice things about Downing's article is to show that that's just not true. This would be a good argument for the existence of a hypothetical source being used by Luke and Matthew. 
The problem is that the good argument structurally does not actually correspond to the data we find when we consider the Gospels. Right. If Luke really had eliminated every bit where Matthew was following Mark closely and then only reproduced bits where Matthew is adding to Mark, then Downing would have been right. But that isn't what happens when we actually look at the pericopes. Well, I think we've covered Downing for today. Thanks for joining me, Ken. My pleasure. I think we'll have uh, future episodes in the Synoptic Problem series. I'm Golder and Tuckett and Kloppenberg and Goodacre, and we'll see where to go from there. Looking forward to it, Ian.